Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 19, looking at chapter 19 and chapter 20. Title of our study is A Place of Refuge. Now, when you hear the word of refuge, what comes to mind? Maybe it's a secure building with locks and, you know, bolted, uh, you know, doors. And, or maybe it's a walled fortress like a castle. Perhaps something as simple as uh, a home to keep you warm and safe. Uh, a sanctuary, if you will. A place where you can let your guard down and just rest. Whatever picture comes to mind, it's agreed it's a safe place, right? It's a, it's a place of safety. And, uh, and today we'll see that God established these places of refuge for the Israelites uh, when they were in trouble. Um, but we'll also see that the Bible declares that God is our refuge. And I hope that uh, we'll see that we can run to him anytime we need to. Uh, we can run to God. And in fact, it, I was just thinking about this. Years ago, my dad taught us a, a song, in, and it comes right from Scripture that um, uh, the righteous, what is it, uh, the righteous run to God, right? He's a, he's a tower of safety. And so the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. And, and that's, that's true. We can run to God. We can find our safety in the Lord, right? We can run to him. Uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. So uh, with that, let's take a look at the first 13 verses here together. And we'll see uh, the instruction to set up these cities of refuge. We'll see an example of why they would be needed. And then we'll see uh, how they would operate as well. So picking up here in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19, verse 1. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor, cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live." Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer, overtake him because uh, the way is long, and kill him. Though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Now if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your fathers, and, and gives you the land which he promised to give your fathers, and if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, 
to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways. Then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three. Less innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and thus uh, guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. We'll pause there. We see that in some of these cases, uh, the situation of death was completely accidental. Uh, there was no malice, there was no anger, there was no premeditation. Uh, it was just a pure accident. And in order to to modify the, this deeply ingrained practice of uh, avenging uh, somebody, uh, the avenger of blood was usually a family member, to go and, you know, you took out my brother, I'm going to go and take you out, and the kind of this back and forth of vengeance. Uh, God established these cities of refuge so that people could flee to the city and, and be safe. Uh, this was unheard of. This was not a practice of any other nation. As God set this up specifically for his people. And he gives even this example. Suppose you're out in the forest with a friend, and hey, you're helping him because he needs some firewood, and so you've got your axe, and you're there, you're chopping some wood, and uh, you know the, the, the iron axe head, it comes off the wood and slips, and it goes up in the air and hits your friend in the head, and he falls over. You're like, I hope he's okay. You rush over, and he's, he's injured, and he ends up dying from that injury, um, you were to flee. You were to, to, to go to one of these cities of refuge. Um, it was an accident, right? And so you could flee to one of these cities. Uh, otherwise, the avenger of blood, one of their family members, would find you and, and come and, and try and take you out and kill you. And I mean, talk about flying off the handle, right? Uh, that's how those kind of people would, would have acted, right? It would have been emotion. Um, but he says, suppose someone is, is hostile towards a person, right? Deliberately ambushes them, right? They've been planning this, and, you know, this date we're going to go out and we're going to chop wood, and it's just going to be us. And uh, he murders them. And then if he flees to one of these cities, it says that they would be judged. The elders were to take them to the hometown of the other person and send leaders to the city of refuge to bring them back. And, and the dead person's family was then to avenge. They were to put that person to death. And so God knew these things would happen, right? And even today we, in the workplace, right, we have these, these things that safety matters, right? Even with a mindset of safety uh, and near misses and best practices, uh, accidents can still happen, right? I know in the workplace they tell you oh, accidents can be avoided, and that's mainly true, but they still happen, right? And, and so we need to, to know that God was just as concerned that the guilty be punished as he was that the innocent be protected, right? There's things that just happen. And so on a practical level, what we see here is that we need to learn to forgive people. Forgive those who maybe have an ax to grind, right? Forgive those that, uh, <laughs> too many <laughs> puns? <laughs> forgive those that, that want to harm us, right? Forgive those that have maybe injured us in the past. 
Um, we need to learn to forgive. Doesn't mean we forget what happened, right? Doesn't mean we become best friends with that person, but we learn to forgive. Or we don't. And we hold on to bitterness and we let that bitterness lock us in a cage where we're um, just bitter at everything and bitter at the world and, and we're stuck in this prison of unforgiveness. Better to just forgive, right? And, and know that, hey, this person is either just uh, angry at the world or they were upset with me and I'm just not going to take it personally. And so um, another level is we can think to be careful, right? Think of others' safety, right? To think in a practical level of, of being safe around other people, whether it's when we're driving, right? That we're not texting as we're driving, um, that we're cautious, we're, you know, and in Midwest, we know this, right, especially when it's snowing and ice, we, we are a little more cautious on the roads, right, versus, uh, you know, drive fast and take chances, right, not, not the best approach during winter, um, and so we, we want to be cautious, but even when we're doing things like using power tools, right, we want to be careful. Uh, I remember uh, in high school, California, my shop teacher was missing a thumb, and we were like, what happened? Tell us the story. And he's like, I, I just got careless. I, it was a long day. I was cutting all these pieces of wood. And all right, I'll finish this last one. And, and there's a device that you use to kind of bring it near the saw. And he's like, ah, it'll be fine. And he went there, and it jammed, and it got his thumb. And he was careless, right? And so we want to be careful around powerful tools as well, right? We want to be cautious around those things. And, and the reality is if we're not, and we're careless, and somebody else gets injured, we're liable, right? And so we want to think through that of protecting others, right? Making sure that we're safe. Now, even more importantly, on a spiritual level, uh, we see these, these cities of refuge, and uh, the Bible applies these uh, to the believer as finding refuge in God, safety in God. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. And there's, there's more than 15 times in the Psalms that it refers to as God as our refuge. And even in the book of Hebrews, it talks about uh, our refuges in him. And so throughout the scriptures, it mentions that, that God is our refuge, that our place of safety, that we can run to him. And so both Jesus and the cities of refuge were within easy reach of a person in need. Both provided protection as long as you were within their boundaries. To go outside meant death. And then also they had to stay there until the high priest died and then they were set free. And so both offer full freedom after the death of the high priest. And Jesus being our high priest died for us, right? Freedom is found in Christ. But there's a crucial distinction between these cities of refuge and between our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a refuge only helps the innocent. Again, if you were guilty, you were taken away, and you were punished. And that's where the illustration stops. Because as guilty sinners, we can flee to Christ and find refuge and forgiveness in him. Right? You couldn't do that to these cities of refuge. If you were guilty, you weren't allowed to stay there. Right? They would take you out. And so for us, we can come to Jesus and find refuge. So there's similarity, but there's quite a contrast as well, right? As guilty sinners, we can flee to Jesus. We can run to him. We can find forgiveness of our sins in Christ. We can find our safety and our refuge in him. And so my hope is that you 
know Jesus as a, a, a man of refuge, a man of peace, a man of safety, uh, someone that you can trust with everything in your life, someone that you can turn to no matter what you're facing. And, and the rea- reality is uh, you can't hide it from God anyways, so why not just talk to him about what's going on? Be, be straight with him, be honest with him, and, and let him help you with whatever you're facing. And so we can turn to God as our refuge and our strength. Well, next in verse 14 through verse 21, we'll take a look at the uh, property and, and the boundaries that were there that got established and some rules and regulations around that. And we'll also take a look at some laws concerning witnesses uh, that God wanted to protect their honesty involving with uh, courts and trials and such. So we'll pick up here in verse 14 and then we'll go to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 21. So Deuteronomy 19, verse 14 says, You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, uh, which the men of old have set, and your inheritance which you will inherit and the land of the Lord your God has given you to possess. One witness shall not rise against uh, a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if a witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then he shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. And hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. We'll pause there. We see that God had established... um, property and, and boundaries for them. They were not to move the, these landmarks, and those landmarks were what told them where their property line was. And so Israel was not to steal anyone else's land by moving those uh, boundary markers those that their ancestors had established and set up. In other words, don't steal from your neighbor, right? Don't take things away from your neighbor, uh, and then don't lie about it, right? Uh, better not to move those boundaries. Uh, and, and if you did do something to offend your neighbor, go to them and confess it. Uh, make things right. Um, now, on another note, this also shows that the Bible supports uh, the right to personal property, right? That we have a right uh, to our possessions. And in fact, it's one of the principles our founding fathers uh, used to support uh, personal possession and and. Uh, the right of property. And so uh, at the Jewish time, if you stole from someone, uh, the law was you were to pay them back with interest. In fact, some of the laws of restitution, you were to pay back fourfold. So if you stole the TV from your neighbor, you had to go get them four brand new TVs if, you, if they found out you were guilty. So it kind of deterred a lot of that, uh, of, of hurt, harming your neighbor, Right? And so God was concerned with the people that they would be honest and, and they wouldn't um, misrepresent him. And so much of our laws in America uh, came from God's word, came from the Bible as a foundation. Um, 
And so we have laws of restitution set up today as well. We also see that they were not to convict anyone of a crime, it says, on the testimony of only one witness, right? There was to be established two or three witnesses because one person can make it up. If you had a, a several people, it was more likely than not that they're telling the truth to a situation. Found out later that they were lying, they were to take him out and, and to deal with them accordingly. Um, but we see that they were to be honest and trustworthy. And so the facts of the case had to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Um, today we've got medical and scientific evidence, we've got video, electronic evidence, and those can also be uh, looked at as, as witnesses, witnesses of, of what occurred in the situation of the facts. Now I've been on jury duty f a few times, I've tried to get out jury duty, um, I think I've had happened once or twice, but usually they, they want me on jury duty because when I get called, I take my Bible with me, uh, not only as, as excellent reading material while I'm, while I'm waiting, um, but it's an opportunity uh, for me to, to share with those around me uh, things about the Lord. And, and I remember I was on a case in California, and I brought my Bible with me, and the guy asked me, is it wrong to steal? And I said, of course. And he said, is it wrong to take a pencil from your employer? And I said, yes. He said, all right, we want you on the case. And so I got to minister to a gal that was there on jury duty and, and uh, encourage her to reconnect with the Lord. And, and uh, I couldn't tell anyone about what the case was about. Well, afterwards, there was embezzlement that the bookkeeper was stealing from uh, her employer. And so I'm like, of course. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're doing that, of course stealing is wrong. Right? It, you can't justify it. And she was trying to justify it, that she didn't have retirement set up and this was going to be her retirement. And I'm like... That's not his fault. <laughs> That's your fault for not thinking that through. Um, and so if you're ever asked to be on jury duty or to testify, take the opportunity, right, to stand for the truth, stand for what's morally right. And then also remember, and you can remind other people, God's the ultimate judge, right? It's not going to really, uh, at the end of the day, uh, matter uh, for eternity, what happens around that situation, because the reality is God's gonna judge anyway, right? And, and I remember a case where my brother and I were riding bikes and somebody backed up and out of the driveway and hit my brother, and so we ended up going back to our house and I told my dad, and, and we went down to the police station, told him what happened, and, uh, and uh, the, the police took the other guy's word on it that we were apparently riding on the sidewalk and so we went to the exact place, and I showed my dad where we were on the street. There was no sidewalk, not even in front of the guy's house, that whole block. Uh, and yet the police failed to do that. And, um, and so there's things like that you just think, okay, where was, where was the integrity? Where was the honesty in those situations? And the reality is, God's the ultimate judge. If people don't seek his forgiveness, come judgment day, they're going to be dealt accordingly and even those uh, who are judges in this earth, right? If they're taking bribes on the side and they don't know Christ, they don't repent of their sin, God's gonna deal with them as the ultimate judge. And so um, we see that that was the mindset for these Israelites as well. They need to remember that God's the ultimate judge. We're all accountable to him. And then we see in the last section of this chapter that the Israeli government was not to show us as pity for the guilty, and they weren't to go beyond the fair punishment, such as life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, or foot for foot. Now, some have tried to use this as a means of, 
of personal uh, conflict, right? That you punched me, I'm going to punch you. You know, you ran over my foot, I'm going to run over your foot. You know, you hit me and I lost a tooth, I'm going to hit you till you lose a tooth. That's not what was set up here. Um, this was, this was f- for the judges or the city leaders. This was not personal relationships. In fact, Jesus even dealt with this uh, in the Gospels. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 30 and 39, he quotes this passage as teaching and the true interpretation of the law. And it, it doesn't say that an eye for eye principle is wrong, rather that Jesus says that this condemns the use of it to make an obligation to exact revenge, right? And this wasn't to go to someone who's personally offended you and, and seek that retaliation. This was set up for the government to punish evildoers. And so uh, we see that that was, that was their uh, role. It wasn't our role to, to exact that revenge. Uh, our role is to resolve conflict, right? To be at peace, at, if possible, with all people. Um, so God instituted the death penalty, but it was for the government uh, to be a part of executing that. He's also called us to value life. Um, and so the truth is we're, we're not for death. We're for justice and we're for life. But when we understand the grace of God, we seek forgiveness. We also establish those healthy boundaries. And, and those that commit violent crimes, uh, there is the death penalty for them. And and there have been many people who have been in prison and they realize they're wrong and they seek the forgiveness of Christ and, and they become a, a born-again believer. It doesn't excuse what they did. They still have to pay for their crime. But the reality is they, ha- they have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so God set these things up. Uh, and I know that it's hard for some Christians to justify uh, capital punishment. But the reality is God established it for a reason. It was for the people to hear and fear, right, to deter. And when you begin to see that uh, if you do a crime and there's no punishment, there's no um, way to, to uh, enforce that, well, people are just going to do it anyways. And you see some of that in California where people walk into stores and take clothes, they take items, they walk out because it's less than 1,000. The police aren't going to get involved. And it's like, well, now you're just giving people the excuse to go on and grab stuff off the shelves and leave. The rest of us, we're going in, we're actually paying for the product. And, you know, so you begin to see if you don't enforce the law, if you don't enforce uh, justice, people are going to take advantage of that and people are going to do things that are evil. And so this was to, to stop those that were bent on causing harm and causing destruction to Israel and making sure that people were safe. And that was God's heart, right? God says, it says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right? He's not willing to any perish, but all comes to repentance. Um, and we see in the New Testament, there were false witnesses that were brought against Jesus, right? And yet he, he knew that he was innocent. He wasn't guilty of anything. But he willingly went to the cross to die for us, right? He, he took the judgment that we deserve, and one of the two thieves on the cross that was guilty of his crime turned to Christ. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So even if we're, someone's on death row, they can find forgiveness in Christ. They can find true freedom in a relationship with Jesus. And so that's our hope and that's our prayer. And I know that um, some have been involved in jail ministry and, 
it's a much needed, much needed ministry because we want to reach people uh, for Christ. We, we don't want them to go back there if they get released. We want them to find true freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Well, next in chapter 20, we'll see principles for governing warfare. We'll see when Israel was to go out and, and attack and, and defend uh, that God established principles on how they were to operate and how they were to conduct themselves. And so we'll take a look at that here uh, in uh, chapter 20. And uh, we will just read the whole chapter together. There's um, 20 verses. So picking up here in Deuteronomy chapter 20, he says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle, the priest shall approach and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Then the officer shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man uh, eat of it. One man is there whose betrothed to a woman has not yet married her. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man marry her. Verse 8, Then the officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people. They shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. Verse 10. When you go near a city to fight against it and then proclaim an, an offer of peace to it, it shall be if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers uh, it to your, into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that's in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself. And you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of these cities of, of these nations. But the cities of these people which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God commanded you. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they've done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Verse 19. When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat them, do not cut them down, 
to use in a siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees of which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. We'll pause there. Now, as I prepared and as I read these four, uh, first four verses here in chapter 20, I just, I fell in love with these verses. I mean, uh, it was, it's like a brave heart moment, right? To call the people to war, to call them to action, to remember that God is your God and he's going to fight for you and he's going to give you the victory and the battle belongs to the Lord and don't fate, don't be afraid, don't tremble, don't be terrified. The Lord is your God. He goes with you. He fights for you. He's going to take out your enemies. He's going to save you. Right? That's awesome. The men are pumped. Yes, we're ready. Let's go. Let's take him out. And, uh, and we see that you know, they're, they're giving that, that speech, right? And, you know, the one chance to tell your enemies you could take our lives, but you're not going to take our freedom kind of thing, right? And so the men are pumped. They're encouraged. And, and yet, when, then we get to verse 5 through 8. And I can't imagine any army or any military draft or anyone that would want to use this, right, to talk to the people before battle. When we see the officers of the army were to go to the troops and say, has anyone just built a house? You haven't dedicated it? Okay, go home. Yep, nope, go ahead and check out. You can go home. Has anyone here planted a vineyard? You haven't partaken of it? Oh, okay, go ahead and go home. You go too. Anyone here are betrothed that are engaged to get married and you're not married yet? Yep, you can go home too. Okay. Hey, is anyone here afraid or worried? You are. Okay, you guys can go too. Yep, nope, just go ahead and go. And before long, so you're wondering, well, how many people are left, right? How many people are still there ready to fight? And then you wonder um, how many people would go, right? Uh, and we see that they, those that were afraid were to leave lest they, they frighten others, right? And so we see that um, the people would be afraid, right? That they, they might be fearful and might cause a panic on the battlefield. And others might be um, either prideful or overconfident in their abilities. And so I, again, I can't imagine that scene where, you're, where you'd go before the army and you pump them up and they're ready to battle and then you're like, okay, and if you're afraid... See ya. Go ahead and check out. But that's what God commanded, right? He gave them that opportunity. He didn't want people who would be fearful in the midst of battle. He wanted people who had confidence, not in their abilities, but confidence in the Lord, that the Lord was going to fight for them. The Lord was going to give them that victory. It reminded me of this recently. I was listening to an, an NFL player, a football player, uh, who gets paid millions and millions of dollars. And he said... You know, there's times where um, you just, you fumble the ball or, um, you know, you don't operate in the way that you should on the field. And he said, there's something about hearing footsteps of a huge human charging at you. And fear begins to settle in because you know, I'm going to get hit and it's going to hurt a lot. And you get fearful, right, of that. And he said, but on the other hand, you can get cocky, right? You can get prideful. You can miss doing the drills, miss the practices. You're thinking, I, know, I don't need to show up. I know exactly what to do. I'm an all-star. And he says, and then you mess up in critical situations. So both fear and pride can take you out. It can cause you to lose your focus on the battlefield. 
In fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus told us to count the cost in following him. He said that some wouldn't stick around when the going gets tough, right? And we see this, there's this me first shallow faith that some have bought into. I'll follow Jesus as long as it's easy. I'll follow Jesus as long as it's comfortable. But as soon as it gets difficult, I'm out of here. I didn't sign up for that, right? And so we see that even uh, there were many crowds that began to follow Jesus. And some of them were falling because the free food. Some were falling because he did miracles. Others were like, we want this guy to be our king. And when uh, the religious leaders became to come out and uh, to accuse them or to investigate them, or when Jesus began to call them to further be a disciple and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no partnership with me. They're like, what is this guy saying? We don't understand this. Let's get out of here. Uh, he was calling them to make sure that they, they're, they're all in in that. And Jesus would, would later go on to talk about a guy, if you go out to plow a field and you're constantly looking behind you, I don't know if you ever try that if you're mowing a lawn or if you're clearing a line of snow. If you're going straight and you keep looking behind you, you're going to begin to turn. You're going to go off track, right? And the point is we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're, we're to follow after him, right? And so we see that there's this, um, this, this mindset of, of this, this shallow faith. And it reminds me, I was chatting with a brother just recently, and this illustration came up of the, the parable of the soils, right? And if we're honest, we've probably been in each one of those stages in our life, right? Um, but when, when the trials of this world come, when persecution comes, are we going to bail on the Lord or are we going to stick out and go, as Peter said, where else am I going to go? You have the words of everlasting life and I've come to know that you are the Christ, the Messiah. So we too, we need to count the cost in following Jesus, right? No turning back. We need to see him, at, he is worth it. He is our treasure. He is our prize. Even in the midst of a battle, Right? We know that it's worth it in following Jesus Christ. And so we don't run away from battles. We stick it out. We know the battle belongs to the Lord. And we see it was important that Israel didn't try and just fight intentionally, just to go to those nations around them and, uh, and fight unnecessarily. They were to offer terms of peace, to try and come to agreement. And that was very rare at that time too. The, the, the surrounding nations didn't do that. They didn't go and say, hey, um, before we fight each other and kill each other, we want to offer you peace. That was unheard of at that time. You know, we hear more recently in modern warfare, uh, but that was, that was unheard of uh, at this, this historical time. But we know today that offering peace first, we would say is diplomacy, right? It's, it's a good strategy. It's a good first approach to avoid war, to avoid conflict. And the reality is, so too, we should be going to look to, to pick a fight, Right? We're called to be protectors of the flock that God entrusts to us, but we're also called to be peacemakers, right? We're called to seek peace, uh, to try and, and, and be at peace with those around us. But it also says if there could be no peace, then they were to destroy the enemy. Uh, they were to take out those strongholds that are going to pull them away from God, right? Because God didn't want his people to go into idolatry, and so, too, we're to remove those strongholds that are going to pull us away from the Lord. Right? We're not to attack people as followers of God. Right? But if the government calls on us, 
right? And we go to war, or there's a draft, there's an allowance there to defend our country. And so we have got a duty to defend our family. We've got an obligation to protect life uh, and defend life. Now, I know, I know not everyone would want to go and, and serve in, in that regard, but the opportunity is there to do it, right? Um, the allowance is there to do it. And then one more thing we see here in this last section uh, before we conclude. We see the command here, it says, to not cut down the trees of the land that were good for food. They were to see that their immediate need for wood was to be considered with the long-term good of the area. Right? Needing wood for building and for siege ramps and, and for fuel was important. But they also had to take uh, the long-term view into consideration. Right? And they didn't want to create one of those Lorax situations right, where all they chop down all the trees and there's no trees left. Right? Um, and so they, they had to take that into consideration. For us, spiritually, that means we don't cut down resources or people that are valuable. Right? We, don't, we don't cut down people that are slow to grow. Right? God's working on their life. God's working on their heart. Uh, we don't want to have an ax to grind with them either. Right? So we don't want to burn bridges with people. We might need their help someday. And I, I heard of a brother in the fellowship. Uh, he had a good working relationship with the company he was at. And they said, hey, whenever you're ready to come back, we have an open door for you. We have a role for you. And he left and went to another company for a bit and did work out, came back, and got to, to pick up right where he left off. Now, had he been a different kind of guy, uh, caused some issues in the workplace, that would have been a closed door. But he left good relationships, uh, positive um, connections there, and so he had that open door. Right? He didn't burn those bridges. And so we see that it's a good thing that we should see things, we should see people from God's perspective, right? And I believe the Bible and, and prayer helps us to do just that. That we see that God values people, that he values them so much. So in closing, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus told us, in me you will have peace, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So no matter what circumstance you're facing, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And, and, and I don't know where he would have you be. I hope it's here. Uh, but that's going to be the safest place to be is in God's will. Right where he has you. He promises to be our refuge. In fact, he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. So may we be salt and light right here in this city, in this state. May we be fruitful where we're planted. May we be all in for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And may we be fruitful for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our refuge, our place of safety. Lord, we thank you that in you we find freedom. We find forgiveness for our sins, for our wrongs. That we can come to you, run to you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that we find uh, that hard charges are dismissed because of the sacrifice you've made for us. 
God, we thank you that you are the best witness of all, that it's through your death and resurrection that we have forgiveness and life. So God, we, we pray you just continue to help us to grow. And we know that we are on a, a battlefield, so to speak, a spiritual battlefield. We ask that you'd help us to take up the tools, the weapons you've given to us through prayer and through your word and the power of faith. <coughs> well, we ask God that you would help us to keep our eyes on you and, and what you've called us to do. That we would truly be a light to those around us, Lord. That we wouldn't run away from difficulties, but we would speak the truth in love. We would stand for righteousness. Knowing, Lord, others are watching and they would see, Lord, our love for you and our love for them and for those around us. And Father, we pray if there be any here this morning or watching the live stream online or listening to this later on who don't know you, they haven't surrendered their life to you, we ask God that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here this morning and say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me, I need to get right with God. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd be with Jesus in heaven. I don't have that forgiveness that you're talking about. I need that, that forgiveness. I need um, that cleansing that you've mentioned. If that's you and you're, you're ready to make that decision, to surrender your life to God who loves you and made you and knows you, I simply want to lead you in a prayer where you make that decision. And if you're ready to do that, I simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and truly mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner, that my sin separates me from you. And God, I, I realize that you love me, that Jesus, you lived a perfect life, and that you went to the cross to die for my sins, that you were buried and rose from the grave. God, I ask that you forgive me of my sins, that you come into my life and I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you. And put your spirit within me that I may do your will. I thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, for being my Savior and my Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus or rededication. Um, let me know. Love to encourage you. Pray with you. Give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Mulder of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry please visit ccfergusfalls.com slash giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries, check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study his word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Changing my
my life to you I can shout from the inside 